this week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, Podcast. Joey Janela opens up about his AEW contract status and how AEW is treating soon-to-be-released talent. Chris Jericho shoots on Cody Rhodes leaving AEW. William Regal on his many health scares and issues leading up to his recovery and return to professional wrestling. And we remember the bad guy, Scott Hall, a.k.a. Razor Ramon. I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. Hey, yo, Chico. Rest in peace to Scott Hall, a.k.a. Razor Ramon, who uh, passed away this week due to complications from several, multiple heart attacks, which stemmed from complications from his hip surgery. Um, Apparently, he had some blood clots that had moved from uh, his hip and worked their way up towards his heart, which was already in uh, bad condition as it was. He had a uh, pacemaker in at the time. So as many times as Scott Hall has seemingly been on death's door and throughout, you know, our fandom of him, Uh, He's always kicked out. He's always made it through. He's always come back stronger, better, both as a, you know, as a person, as a, as a public figure, you know, Um, Scott Hall is one of, if not, you could make an argument for him being the most influential professional wrestler of all time, period. Now, I know some people will say that's a little bit of hyperbole, but we're going to walk you through it here. Um, Just the incredible career that Scott Hall had. Now, I wouldn't say he's the most, but you could argue it, and I I would not laugh you out of the building. You know, I would absolutely hear you out because I would easily put him in my top three. I mean, look at the career that this guy had. First of all, just the Razor Ramon character. You know, he had a he had a career before Razor Ramon, um, you know, as Scott Hall or as, as Magnum Scott Hall and, and then, you know, as the Diamond Stud. And I remember him as the Diamond Stud. When he came into the WWF, I remembered him, <clears throat> you know, because I was watching early 90s WCW. With, with, you know, with Oz and with the Diamond Stud and with Sting and, you know, the Four Horsemen. And I remember Sid Vicious over there and, and Giant Gonzalez and all those people before they jumped ship to WWE. And I don't know that I was the biggest fan of Razor to start with or even looking back. I'm not one of Razor's biggest fans, but I know people. I'm, you know, I'm friends with people 
who who do consider Scott Hall, Razor Ramon to be one of their all-time favorites. You know, I've heard other people talk about it. That match he had with the one, two, three kid absolutely made the one, two, three kid in WWE. A guy like Sean Waltman at his size never ever would have made it in a in a WWE without Scott Hall doing what he did for him in that match. That's the definition of putting somebody over. And Scott didn't lose anything from that. It was a fluke, right? It was yeah, one, two, three kids stole one, essentially. And he was chased down that aisle by Razor Ramon. And Razor was coming after him. <clears throat> I believe one, two, three kid was knocked out. He had uh, knocked himself silly during his moonsault, I believe. Maybe before the moonsault. But when you get up to in just a four-time Intercontinental Champion at that time, that was unheard of. I think Jericho is like a seven-time now, and there's some other multiple champions. But in the 90s, in the early 90s, a four-time champion in anything was pretty fucking rare. I mean, Hulk Hogan had five WWF title runs uh, by that point. But that was pretty impressive for, you know, having multiple reigns with a championship. So, you know, before a Jericho came along... Uh, the Intercontinental title was Razor Ramon's title. In that era, it was Razor's title. And you look at the NWO. Scott Hall changed the business with the NWO on a number of levels. He was the first to really draw that guaranteed money, right? And he had the favored nations clause. So he changed the way that contracts were done. He was he showed up on national television having coming off of WWF TV as Razor Ramon walking down through the crowd. He still got the toothpick in his mouth. He still got the little curly cue on his forehead. He's Razor Ramon. He's wearing the vest like Razor wears, but it was the jean jacket. You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. Iconic. Iconic. And they got sued. WCW got sued the fuck. Uh, out of themselves for that because, uh, I mean, they were flat out basically putting Razor Ramon on TV. Though, uh, a giant argument could be made to say that Razor Ramon was the diamond stud and that that was always WCW's intellectual property. You could argue that. Scott Hall was doing the Razor Ramon character as the diamond stud. There wasn't a lot of difference. You know, I don't know that he was doing the accent at the time. I can't recall his promos necessarily. Uh, he wasn't doing like the Cuban uh, gimmick uh, per se, but he was doing definitely doing the, um, <clears throat> you know, the grease. He had the greasy hair slicked back and the curly. The outfit he wore was exactly the same. You know, swap out the razors for diamonds. I think he even had the 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 diamond's edge or the diamond whatever like the move was the same. He was he was Razor Ramon, but him walking out on Monday Nitro that night and I watched it. I was watching it live, and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget what it was like watching the NWO at that time because you just. I think I was old enough to not. I I was old enough to to know that it was not real. 
But it sure as fuck looked real, and I wasn't used to seeing that. This was an era where guys had gimmicks. Gold dust and 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 Savio Vega and and the Ringmaster. And you know, WCW was a little bit more realistic, but you just never seen guys just walk out in the middle of the ring from the crowd, kick guys out during a match, bully around the announcers, like and then to further continue with this game changing. So then you move forward. There would not be a crow sting without the influence of Scott Hall. Scott Hall is, I think, at this point, famously known as the guy who came up with the crow gimmick for Sting, who, uh, when Sting was looking for a new way, a new presentation, a new angle to be less of the cartoony kids figure and, and battle this NWO that's invading the company, it was Scott Hall that said, hey, have you ever seen the crow? He brought cool to professional wrestling. Him and Kevin Nash, him along with Nash, they were cool. The NWO never would have worked. They they brought cool heels. They made cool heels a thing. Even you could argue even before WCW in WWF, Razor was a cool bad guy, right? He was chill, he was laid back. Kevin Nash, he was flipping people off well before Stone Cold was as Diesel. You know, when he turned heel after his match with Bret Hart, he became a cool bad guy. He was edgy. He was cool. Without a Scott Hall in professional wrestling, who knows? He was the first to jump. He made it okay for Kevin to jump to WCW. So would we have gotten the Outsiders? Would we have gotten the NWO if it weren't for Scott Hall? Would we have gotten the Crow Sting if it wasn't for Scott Hall? And because of the NWO... Would we have gotten the Attitude Era if it was not for Scott Hall? You know, his name's also uh, uh, often thrown out there as being, you know, the biggest star to never hold a world title. You know, he was still in an era where the world title wasn't a pat on the back. It wasn't a trophy. It wasn't a a congratulations. It was a... um, you know, only the top, 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 top guy had the strap. And Scott Hall was always just short of that top guy spot, but he was always right underneath it. And he was always a player that you could believably rotate into a championship feud at any point. He had that amazing feud with Goldust in the WWF. I wish he would have stuck around or did more with that. I, I would have liked to see that play out at WrestleMania 12. You know, we got the Hollywood backlot brawl, but that was really supposed to be Scott Hall in there. And, of course, you know, he, at the time, he was uncomfortable and, and uncomfortable working with Goldust with the gay character. That was new. It was edgy. It was groundbreaking at that time. He'll be missed, man. I mean, he was, let's, let's not sugarcoat it completely. You know, Scott Hall didn't have a lot of people that, he made a lot of enemies throughout his career. You know, he pushed a lot of buttons. He fucked with a lot of people. He was a dick to a lot of people. But he did so much good at the same time. He was always selfless in doing the job. If you look at the NWO, it was very often Scott Hall that got the pin. Rarely Nash, rarely Hogan. Sometimes Waltman if he was in the mix. But otherwise, Scott Hall, if somebody was going to take the three, it was Scott. Scott offered to put over guys 
like DDP, Chris Jericho. Scott was never selfish like that. Scott was selfish and greedy with his money. You know, he, 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 his career was driven by how can I get top guy money? I want to, I want to make that kind of money. You know, he's famously on record for talking to Vince about it. You know, how can I make that kind of money? And, and he did. God damn it. He fucking did. You know, so he, he was, he was a bad guy, but he was our bad guy. He was the bad guy. And I think, and I think he'll be remembered for doing so much more good than he ever did bad. You know, being an asshole doesn't hurt people. Uh, it's just, you're just an asshole, right? So, uh, uh, Scott's legacy should, and hopefully will live on forever. His influence in the business. I think we'll be missing his mind. I think we have been missing his mind from the business. He would have been a great creative. Uh, but he's Scott Hall, too. You know, he was a hard guy to... He was a complicated guy. But he's at peace now. And he'll be sorely, sorely fucking missed. And will always be remembered by the pro wrestling fan base. The bad boy. Joey Janela was on Denise Salcedo's Instinct Culture show this week, giving a very candid interview, talking all about his AEW status. Check out this clip. Uh, my contract's up on May 1st, and I'm going to have to say no now. I'm not interested in signing with AEW. If I don't sign another contract in my career, so be it. I'm, I'm, I'm completely happy with rolling around in the, in, at the Outlaw Mud shows with some of these these either wacky names or great great names of the past. Love it. This is this is everything I could have dreamed of. I just wish it was there was less radio silence on their end with me. I consider Tony a friend. I hung out with Tony a lot in the beginning days of uh, AEW. So be it. It's over now, and uh, we're just moving forward. I. I I have no complaints. I thank Tony. Uh, I just wish there were more. They've been doing this to people. They've been radio silent on the people. They are letting the, the contracts expire. That's why you have talent relations to talk to your talent and tell them what the situation is. I just wish they would talk to me. Na, 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 na. Hey, 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 fuck off. You know what? Uh, I'm not going to miss Joey Janela. <laughs> I know he's got his fans. People like him. Look, he talked all about wanting to go back and do the indie shows and do G G uh, the GCW. And, and, you know, he attacked Waltman. He's in a storyline with Waltman now. Look, I mean... He's going to be fine. He's got a good place on the indies. He's a great indie character. Um, I, I think he'll do better there. I think he'll be more entertaining there. I think he will re he will reattract some fan appreciation once he's back on the indie scene. But let's face it, his AEW career was a complete and total flop. And you could blame that on other people if you'd like to. Tony Khan or whatever the fuck. But at the end of the day, Joey Janela just wasn't, he just wasn't that great. 
right? He, I mean, he was prominently featured when AEW first started. He was getting those TV spots. He had his feud with Kip, you know, recently losing Penelope kind of right when around when AEW was starting. Uh, some people might not even know that. Joey Janela was with Penelope, got her her start in wrestling. Got her in AEW, I believe he mentions on this interview. And, uh, but over time, he just, you know, he started, he, he was getting out of shape. You could tell he wasn't. Look, when you get a job on to and look, I I I'm fat too, right? Like I'm chubby. Uh, I need to lose weight. I'm definitely not anybody to create uh, critique people's bodies or their lack of effort in getting into shape. But if I'm a professional wrestler and I get signed to a national TV company, I'm going to start like getting into shape. That's not the time to go, you know what? I made it. Kick my feet up. Let's start eating Cheetos. That's the time that you really try. I had the same critique of Eddie Kingston. I love Eddie Kingston. I love everything about him. But the dude got signed with that little gut that he's got going on there. And I got mine too, so I'm not judging him. But he got signed with that gut. He should have instantly been working on getting rid of that shit. Bulking up getting some muscle, getting into shape, man. You're on national TV as a wrestler with your fucking shirt off, for fuck's sakes. And and that's part of Joey Janela's issue was his look. Uh, I think he got lazier with, uh, you know, this is a place where you pitch your own ideas and you kind of, you, you to a certain extent, you run your own storylines. Yeah, the boss can have ideas for you, and yeah, the boss is going to have final say-so. But where was Joey with his awesome ideas? He was ended up being teamed with Sonny Kiss. And then he had a, a little feud where he, he split up with Sonny Kiss. He attacked Sonny Kiss. He went heel on Sonny Kiss. But this was all happening on YouTube and nobody was watching it. Ultimately, I think it was just a bad run. I think he's capable of more. I think we'll see it more on the indies. I think we'll start to hear Joey Janela's name again. I think he's going to stay relevant. He's doing the right shit out there on the indies. But his time in AEW, it's just, it's come to an end. And and it wasn't a good run. And maybe he'll be able to reinvent himself and have a comeback at some point. But in him saying, I don't buy the, you know, I've chosen not to re-sign with AEW. That's a way to save face. Because he's not going to be re-signed. You know, he was talking about how he wishes that Tony Khan or even, you know, the uh, talent relations, which is Christopher Daniels, would just reach out to him and talk to him, tell him what's going on, tell them what they're thinking. Uh, and they don't. And that's a problem. That's a big problem. Uh, the company, they need to have the balls to fire people or let people know that they're not going to be redoing their contract instead of just doing it through the news or just not doing it and not talking to you and just going ghost. He's breaking up with people and ghosting them. You know, you're dumping the girl that came over and you fucked last night by just not talking to her again. And that happens a lot these days. And then Tony Khan, you know, bless his heart, maybe just doesn't have the heart to, to tell people that, but he needs to. If he's going to be the boss man, he's got to be able to say, look, dude. And he can have Christopher Daniels do it and save face, but 
he should be doing it himself. And he's, you know, Janela even said that he thinks Christopher Daniels would love nothing more than to fire his ass. Apparently he's got some heat backstage. People don't like him. You know, he, he vaguely mentioned a lot of the veterans don't like, think he's got a bad attitude or whatever, or he's been disrespectful at times. Like there must've been some shit. I think Joey strikes me as the type of person who can't help himself sometimes. Maybe has a little bit of foot in mouth syndrome. Uh, maybe he rebels or says things out uh, as a way to like lash out, as uh, a way to vent frustration or anger or whatever the case may be. So I don't think he's got too many fans backstage by the way he makes it sound. But he said they're doing the same thing to Marco Stunt too. And he's in, and, and I think we've heard this with, you know, we heard a bit of this with, uh, uh, what's her face there too? The swall, big swall. He's not gracefully firing people, but at the same time, think about it. Like this is the first time that people are getting let go from AEW and, and a lot of times, you know, we've heard it, saw it with WWE when people get let go from the big leagues, they get salty about it because obviously they see themselves as a big money draw. They see themselves as way better than the office saw them as and blah, 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 blah. This is going to be best for all parties. Get rid of get rid of Joey Janela. He wasn't doing shit for you in AEW. He's just taking up contract money now at this point. Let him go. He'll be great on the indies. He will revitalize his career, make a name for himself. He'll do just fine. AEW will do just fine without him. Marco Stunt, too? Yeah, fuck him, too. You know, I would have, I always, you know, kind of talked about with people, you know, if it ever came up, like, you know, with the bloated AEW roster. Uh, Marco Stunt and Joey Janela were both two people I would have cut. So get rid of them. Uh, and if you're curious, I would have also got rid of Brian Cage. Uh, Alex Marvez, get the fucker to that guy. There's weight that you can cut, you know? Anyways, it's a great interview. I, I highly recommend you go seek it out, both just for Denise. Support Denise Salcedo. She does great work out there. Um, and then also, she's getting a lot of good interviews lately. So definitely, if, if you haven't heard of her or if you haven't been checking her out, pop in. See what she's got going on on YouTube. And, uh, you know, it's worth listening to the Joey Janela one because he's... Very candid and very open and very heartfelt, I thought, in a lot of ways. It was very cathartic for him. And I wish the best for, for him and his future endeavors. <laughs> the Gathering. A bold journey into the belly of the Juggalo underworld. Written by Seth Grimes. Narrated by Henry Schrader. Chris Jericho usually does all the interviewing himself, but he was the interviewee this week in his appearance on the Kurt Angle show with Kurt Angle, talking all about the, his career, all the different highlights, the ups, the downs, the full interview spectrum that you always get from Kurt Angle with his little pre-prepared questions that have been asked a million times in every other interview, but you give Kurt Angle a pass because he's Kurt Angle. When did his podcast switch formats, by the way, from 
the standard Conrad Thompson, what happened when style of podcast to Kurt Angle interviewing people with the worst shitty generic questions. But it was this question towards the end that piqued my interest uh, when Kurt Angle asked Jericho what were his thoughts when Cody Rhodes left AEW. And uh, the answer was very Jericho. Check out this clip. Cody Rhodes leaving AEW. What was your reaction to it? I was surprised at first, but um, once again, I go back to Pat. When when Vince Russo left WWE in just a month or two after I got there, and this is when everyone thought that Vince was kind of the head writer, and it was a real shakeup. It was very surprising. Russo's on Nitro. What? He's supposed to be. He's on Nitro. Oh no! What's going? And Pat said, "I've seen him come, and I've seen him go." As long as Vince is here and the guys that are here, he goes, it doesn't matter. And Cody was a pillar of our company when we started. And a lot of people thought that he was the boss. He wasn't the boss. Tony's the boss. He's always been the boss. I think maybe the company changed a little bit for Cody over the last few years. But I was surprised. I really was. Um, But it's business. It happens. Uh, I'd be surprised if he doesn't show up in WWE and he hasn't yet, but it would seem to me that he's worth a lot to Vince because he's the first one to go there. So it was a little bit of a shock for, you know, a couple hours. And then you realize it's just business. And if he feels that's the right way to go, then God bless him. I thank him for all the work he did in AEW. My first great program in AEW was with Cody Rhodes and he'll always have his DNA and and fingerprints in the early years of AEW. Yeah, it doesn't sound like Jericho really liked Cody all that much, even. Uh, He's not going to miss him at all. Jericho has not been shy. In fact, he's been uh, maybe the most outspoken about Cody Rhodes at this point. You know, he did that promo on Dynamite where he mentioned old What's-His-Name. That was a shot at Cody just kind of ignoring his existence the second that he's gone, right? That's a diss in itself. And then just here on this podcast with Kurt, you know, just like, oh, people thought he was the boss. He wasn't the boss. Like, you could tell that there's some, like, there's some saltiness there. I think uh, Cody was maybe not as well-liked as people might have thought he was initially. I think when we started to hear those rumors that he was kind of separating from the other EVPs that it was probably the rest of the locker room as well at that point. Cody had his people, his guys, his clique, but for the most part, I think he was kind of, I think he was ostrifying himself. That's a word, right? Does that mean he was being an ostrich? I don't fucking know. He was making a dick of himself backstage. How about that? But Jericho's never shy to give his two cents on somebody, especially if he's looking to take, you know, he takes his shots at WWE all the time. Jericho likes that. That's fun for him. He likes to get his little digs in and and, and, uh, just poke the bear. Jericho loves a little pinch of controversy. He loves a little pinch of a fight. He's uh, not one to sugarcoat his words very often if he feels a certain kind of way. He can be really nice, but Jericho can also be kind of a huge dick. And it kind of sounds like he was being a bit of a dick to Cody. 
Um, now that Cody's gone, which, by the way, uh, news is getting around that Cody did, in fact, sign his contract with WWE. Um, he has not shown up on WWE TV yet. So I don't know that he will, or maybe he'll just debut as a surprise at WrestleMania. But it's looking like he's going to work with Cody Rhodes, or <laughs> Cody versus Cody. Cody's going to work with Seth Rollins at WrestleMania. I don't know how they're going to get there or what's going to happen of it. I hope if, if I don't know if Cody's going to be a babyface. If he's a babyface, debut by himself. If he's if he's gonna be a heel, he needs to bring Brandy along. Uh, as far as I'm aware, Brandy is not getting a WWE contract. She needs one. She should get one. She's fucking great, but only as a heel. But uh, yeah, go seek out that interview with Kurt Angle. Jericho did. They talked a lot of just like I said, just kind of walking through Jericho's career. Right? Ah, uh, you debuted with The Rock, and ah, uh, you didn't weren't liked as much, and gets into his little tiffs with Triple H and just kind of walks through his whole WWF career and then into uh, going transitioning over to AEW and New Japan and that kind of stuff. So good interview if you need to brush up on your Chris Jericho lore, um, but it was particularly interesting for just the, the current event stuff and especially the Cody Rhodes. So, uh, yeah, that's all we got to say about that. Brother Nero was on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy podcast this week. The Extreme Life, this was my first time checking out this podcast. It's really good. Um, is it? Do you guys know if it's under the Conrad podcast umbrella? Because there were, it's a similar format, but it's not hosted by Conrad or Paul Bromwell. Um, but it's it's the similar format of you know picking a topic and going in depth, and there were Conrad commercials in it. And we all love our Conrad commercials, you know. We we subscribe to Conrad's commercials with little breaks of podcasts in between them, right? So Jeff Hardy was on the podcast this week, and I love how in depth they went with this. This was a really like. They weren't afraid to ask any specific questions or get into the meat and potatoes of things, uh, especially in this clip. Uh, this is about Jeff Hardy uh, on his walkout of WWE and that whole incident, and they thought he was on drugs, and how he, uh, what, what he was going through at that time. And Jeff goes in detail talking about his side of the situation. Check out this clip. Uh, what exactly went down that night in December and uh, how did it help lead you to this point? Uh, but it was just weird. I guess the best way I can describe my journey, like the, the last few months, or whatever, in WWE was like glimmers of hope. Like uh, maybe I do still have something. And the last glimmer of hope was the Survivor Series, which was really good. But yeah, but then there's other times I just felt like a ghost roaming the halls. And like, I'm just, I don't know, man, why am I even here? I don't feel important at all. Um, but you know, I kept doing my deal and I just would show up and do whatever they wanted me to do. But yeah, uh, just that night in Edinburgh, Texas, uh, for some reason I, I finished my heat, you know, I took the heat and I just said, I, I'm, I'm ready to go. Went over the rail and disappeared into the crowd. Naturally, uh, they, they think I took something like drugs or whatever, but I didn't. I mean, if I was that bad, I should never, like never went out there. 
is the way I see it. But uh, yeah, and I thought, man, it's just another like unpredictable thing that that I can do and I'll get away with it. But uh, it was more serious than that. You know, Jeff was just done with the WWE. That was it. There's nothing more to it than that. He was just over it. Time to go. Peace out. (laughs) I'm not feeling it anymore. And Matt even said in this podcast that Jeff's always kind of been the kind of guy that goes off of instinct. Like, he doesn't really let his brain get in the way of things. Not that he doesn't think about things, but he just feels things, you know? And he doesn't overthink the things that he feels. If he feels that it's time to go, it's time to go. Well, let's just get out of here. Why, like, let's not over sit and overthink it and complicate it and just... You know, it's not right for me right now, so time to move on. And that's basically what he did. And then with them trying to, oh, he's on drugs again and stuff. And, like, obviously, like, it's peculiar behavior, right? It's strange for him to... It's strange for him to walk out during the middle of the match, right? So, obviously, like, you're going to, with his past, you're going to assume that he was on drugs. But he was clean. And, you know, he even said in the interview, you know, it was something that I, I just, you know, he, he knew he could get away with just walking out during the match. It's like, it's just strange Jeff Hardiness, you know what I mean? And he's aware that he's a different type, you know, he's a, he's a different cat. He's, he marches to the beat of his own drum and, and kind of does things his own way. And WWE just didn't, he didn't feel the appreciation there. He didn't feel wanted there. He didn't feel liked. He didn't feel like he belonged there. He was just, just Jeff Hardy and, you know, he was just back for the action figures and the, the nostalgia pops. And that was about it. He wasn't really going to amount to much more. So he's in AEW now. We will see, but I'm glue. I'm glad that Jeff's happy. I'm glad that him and Matt are back together. Um, I hope they have a good run. I hope I hope they have a successful run, and I hope maybe they do get in that title picture again someday and, you know, have that last great run that they want. I'd like to see Jeff do some singles work, too, and see how far he can get there. Lord Stephen William Regal Esquire III, a true man's man, William Regal has shown up in AEW. He is now managing a little... Team ski between Brian Danielson and John Moxley. But it was a long, hard road to get here. As William Regal tells in great deal on Talk is Jericho this week, opens up fully about a slew of health issues that he's been going through over the last year, couple years, and just really been a goddamn mess. And it's just a miracle the man is here to grace our presence on TV once again. Check out this clip. Expert in necks, necks especially, he went, I've only ever seen something as bad as this before, and that person was already in a wheelchair. I don't know how you're walking. And I'm going, no. I'm really, I'm going, no. I said, I was, I was just bridging the other day. I do a three-minute bridge every day with my nose touching on the mat, right? That's what I, I keep doing, right? He's going, no, he's, he's, I just don't know what I'm looking at. Uh, I, I go up and have a surgery. They've opened me up and they've found out why my the, the MRI looks so bad is you can't see it on an MRI. I have got a huge, big, like, baseball-sized bottle of calcified j- jelly stuff holding my neck together. Within an hour of me being in the house, 
My cardiologist called me going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm going, why, why, why? He said, we should have thought of this years ago. It doesn't pick up. It's telling me all these things. It doesn't pick up on a regular scan. It doesn't. I'm going, what, 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 what? He said, you've probably got less than six months to live. What had happened was this sack around my heart had completely calcified. It was completely constricted. In a, it had just grown into like a goose, oh a solid God. lump of rock. And then three hours later, you can see where he's peeled it all off. You can see a completely beating heart. Because I was just swollen up and all this, my legs were swollen up. He's got sepsis in his leg. We're going to cut his leg off. In, and he's got probably 24 hours to live if we don't. Oh, my gosh. This is another, it's like madness. This poor man, I am goddamn shocked he's still alive. I would have given up so much sooner. The man's heart was calcified, had a rock around it. It couldn't even move. He had spinal fluid leaking out of his fucking neck, just like a drip, just a steady drip of spinal fluid, just, just squirting like a fucking fountain. The man's leg was almost chopped off. He almost had to lose a leg. He was almost peg leg regal, pirate regal. He had a big lump on his neck. He could have been in a wheelchair. The doctors were shocked that he's even walking, saying that most people they've seen in that condition were in wheelchairs. All of this William Regal has fought through, come back from, to be here with us on AEW television. It's a shame that they let him go in NXT. He seemed to love it there. He had nothing but appreciation for WWE. You know, they paid for all of his medical treatments, They, you know, as they're known to do. Uh, and not just paying for the medical treatments, but sending them to the best doctors and everything. But he went through hell. Uh, I mean, it was hard to listen to just the excruciating details. Like, this poor man. Like, what else could you, you know what I mean? Like, it was just one thing after another after another. None of this was public, and he said, you know, I didn't tell anybody because I'm not looking for pity. This is just sort of like, this wasn't the type of podcast where, like, Jericho really just, like, sometimes people just need to vent, you know, and, and Jericho was able to kind of tap into that that seal on, on William Regal and just kind of pop it open a little bit, and Regal just spilled. You know, he just let it all out. And he laughed about it a couple times on the on the show calling Jericho his therapist. But really, like, Jericho just, I mean, it was just, he, he basically just turned on a microphone, put it in front of Regal, and, and then Regal just spilled all of his, everything that he's been going through. And Jericho, you know, like, said, like he said at the end, he wanted to bring Regal back on for another episode because he didn't get to ask him any of his questions, really, that he wanted to. They just went down a rabbit hole of, of Regal's life in the past couple months. And I'm sure it was cathartic for him. I hope it was. Uh, it sounded like it was. It sounds like he's in a good place mentally, physically. He sounds like he's better now. Um, you just never know with these guys. Uh, you never know what they're going through. And I'll add to that, too, like... These guys, even with Scott Hall and his hip, you know, uh, these guys give their everything to us as wrestling fans. Everything. They cripple themselves. Regal was talking about not being able to sleep hardly ever. 
His hands would curl up and shit. You know, he had like a broken neck basically since his early career in the 90s. These people give their lives, their physical, full physical being, and all the time they spend in hospitals and with doctors and how their lives are cut short. Yes, they love it. Yes, they do it for their own passion. Yes, they'd rather have it no other way. But they do it because they appreciate, they need the adulation that we give them, you know? We feed them and then they give us their bodies. They give us their all. And I think we should uh, hear stories like this with William Regal and just take a minute to appreciate what guys do for us and, and how hard they work and how much they sacrifice for our entertainment. Great interview. I highly recommend going to check it out. Um, and then also they got into the, uh, later in the week, Jericho did one on the Amityville horror. So if you like his, uh, his, um, kind of sci-fi ghost type paranormal episodes, then you'll definitely enjoy that one as well. Talk is Jericho. Always a great show. Moving to Sirius XM too in the near future. I don't know a lot about that quite yet. I don't know if it's going to be taken off the free podcast market i hope not i like i love jericho's show um most of the time it's very interesting so hopefully not but he did just sign a giant deal so we'll see how that plays out as well yo listen yo listen yo the acclaim dropped by the wrestling podcast brandon had questions he asked while look fat Bowen's kicked back, look Jack, look at those traps, while Max kicked facts about how he writes raps. The acclaimed was on the wrestling podcast, talking about how they write those raps. For every entrance that they come out to, check out this clip. So, Max, I mean, listen, this thing with this, you know, listen, listen, and then you, you, you throw the rap out there. Do you often have time to, to come up with it? Because you just found out you were having a tag match in two hours. Do you often have time to come up with what you're going to say, or is this like last minute? I mean, that's my job. I, I have to do it, you know. And there's <laughs> there's nothing else there's nothing else for me to do. So when we find out we have a match, yeah, of course, I'm stretching, I'm getting dressed, I'm getting ready for the match. But the most important thing is that I have a little bit of time by myself and really think about how to pick apart our opponents. And, uh, you know, I've gotten Jungle Boy so much that, you know, I had to come out with a, a new line for Jungle Boy. So I said, oh, well, you know what? This guy probably doesn't have any pubes. So let me say that. <laughs> and, and I did that and that line worked. It was pretty good. So, um, yeah, I, I, I always do have time to come up with it. I do have a, a document of just in case if we wrestle this guy, just in case right. I got some things um on deck ready to go but i like being current i like current events um i like politics anything we can do to work that in without getting me and anthony in trouble i think that's the true the true skill that i have is saying these things that are horrible but making them funny for everybody i think it's true i think everybody does love the acclaimed what's not to love about the acclaimed both these dudes are charismatic as fuck the entrance is on point every single time, right? Very rarely does Max have a miss in his 
raps. Sometimes they're a bit too risque for the cancel culture public that we're in today. You know, he often finds ways to offend people, but that's what rap music does. Rap music is supposed to push boundaries just a little bit, you know? You know, you go back to Tupac, you go back to Biggie, right? Those motherfuckers would cut you up lyrically. And it carries on through Platinum Max Caster rapping out to the ring. Anthony Bowens with the boombox. And also just, if you watch interviews with these guys, these guys are just, they're hard not to like. Everybody loves the acclaimed. I mean, it's true. <clears throat> they play heels on TV, but, like, they are the most likable guys. Platinum Max is, like, the fucking guy's, like, he's funny, he's charming, he's smart, he's witty. He likes to fuck with people a little bit in his interviews, like, super full of himself. He knows exactly what his image is. Like, even in his background, he's got all his different little hip-hop and musical uh, influences behind him on his like set that he that he has for his uh, when he jumps on webcam. Uh, Bowen's a little bit more reserved and just chill. Um, but I mean, I'm a huge fan of the acclaim, and I think they have an incredible upside in the business. I uh, not only see them both uh, making it to the point where they're tag team champions someday. But I also see the point where they could split off and have good solo careers. Both these guys are huge. Uh, Max especially is deceivingly big. He's a big, big boy. You know what I mean? Uh, Bones is pretty jacked. I think he's a little bit smaller than Max. But all the fucking potential in the world for these guys. Uh, I love anytime they're on a podcast or anything. Absolutely go out of your way to listen because they're just... They're charming and they're entertaining and they will make it worth your time to hear their voices and opinions. Also, if you, I don't know if anybody ever went out and explored uh, Platinum Max's actual rap music, but like he's on Spotify and shit. Um, <clears throat> it's fun because he raps, it's all about wrestling. Uh, it's definitely like in character. Um, I think he's under Platinum Max, but I think they have an album under the acclaimed. But Bowens doesn't really, you know, he's just kind of the hype man or whatever. But yeah, I recommend just throw Platinum Max in your Spotify or the acclaimed in your Spotify. Pull up some of his raps, man. Dude's good. Eric Bischoff was talking shit about AEW again this week. This time it was about the almighty ratings. And breaking the one million and the reason why he thinks that AEW has not been able to grow bigger as a television show uh, than they are at right now after hiring all the talent that they have. Why is it that they're not making it to the next level? Eric has a theory. Check this out. Whether it's about WWE or whether it's about AEW, it's a commitment to story. And AEW is proving my point. The fact that they have plateaued, in my opinion, is proving that exact point. You can add, you can add whoever you want to your roster, and it won't matter beyond a week or two unless the audience is engaged in a compelling story. 
The idea that AEW doesn't do storylines is fucking bullshit. I'm so sick of hearing that. They definitely do storylines. They just do them different than we're used to seeing them. Their stories are much similar to, say, like a New Japan story. Uh, the the New Japan storylines where they take place. They're 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 longer. They're drawn out. They're more subtle. Uh, they're left open ended so that feuds can be brought back to at other times when people are feuding with multiple people. It's just a different style of delivery. It's not a, a, you know, I'm pregnant with Ric Flair's baby, Charlotte. You know, like, it's not that kind of storyline. It's going to be, I mean, look at look at Punk and MJF. They told a story. They definitely had a story. Hangman Page's story from being like the uh, G golly, I don't know if I can do it. The underdog working his way up. Failing time after time after time after time to finally end up getting it, pulling out on top. Like AEW does do storylines. FTR in in the Young Bucks, they're coming back around to them now all of a sudden. Like their storylines are just maybe not as pronounced. Like they have angles. Guys are guys are in there and they're telling stories. Um, uh, Jericho with Eddie Kingston told a hell of a story. So you can't fucking tell me that they're not doing storylines, but they're not doing them. They're not doing them in the Crash TV Vince Russo style. And, uh, you know, they are doing them in a very, like, professional wrestling-esque, you know, like I said, like a New Japan. Um, So I don't know that the storytelling is necessarily it. It could be. Maybe that's what people need. But I remember lots of stupid storylines in TNA that did them no favors, you know, and especially when Eric was there. He tempted a lot of those stories. But the stories that they're trying to tell didn't do him a lick of good either. But AEW hiring all the best talent in the world has not put them above one million. They can't get there. They can hover it around a million they can get a little bit above it, but then they can get a little bit below it, too. So they have not solidly cracked 1 million and stayed above it, or are they're not pushing 1.5. They're certainly not pushing 2. So what is it that's holding them back? Maybe it is the stories. Maybe people are looking for a different type of storyline. I would argue that they have the storylines. I would argue that a lot of... American pro wrestling style storylines aren't all they're cracked up to be. And I personally don't like that kind of shit. Uh, All you need is two tough guys that don't like each other that want to fight. That's all you need. Or the guy that's chasing the title that can't make it. Or, um, I mean, there's a million of those sports-like stories, and I know it's laughable to say AEW sports-like, um, but you don't need to make up personal drama stories, I guess, is what I'm getting at, you know? Like, you don't need those types of shows to... to um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm 100% wrong. Maybe that's what people are looking for. But I don't know that that's it. So, but if it's not stories, and it's sure as fuck not talent, because AEW has amassed 
the greatest roster in the history of professional wrestling, in my opinion. Like this is highly comparable to to WWF in the early '80s when they scooped up all the territory talent. You know, by the mid middle by the mid '80s, I guess would be better towards the end of the '80s. They had a fucking stacked roster. Or WCW in the 90s, the late 90s, had a stacked roster in the Attitude Era as far as star power. AEW has a fantastic roster. But better than WWE has. But why can't they crack that? that it, is it possible that the wrestling viewership's just not there? And that WWE has it because they are WWE, because there's mainstream. We all know people as wrestling fans that are WWE fans that don't really, they're not smart fans, they're not dirt sheet fans, they're not aware of indie wrestlers, they're not aware of other wrestling promotions. They may be vaguely aware of like an AEW, but they don't watch it. They're WWE people. Then you got your people like your Sam Roberts, which are just flat-out WWE loyalists. Just like, uh, you know, there's a flat-out AEW loyalist. So we all know those people that just are in the WWE bubble. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's just that wrestling is just not growing new fans right now. It has its diehard loyal fan base that exists but you're not going to grow out. You're not going to win over new people that are like, oh, hey, what's this? I never liked wrestling before, but now this show is just so cool. I have to watch wrestling. You know, maybe it's not quite at that point anymore. In that we just got what we got. And WWE just got more because they're WWE. And they've been around longer. And they're established. And their audience is losing. They're losing audience. They're getting closer to AEW numbers than WWE's than AEW's getting closer to WWE numbers. So Bischoff's not wrong. He seems to absolutely have a hard-on for AEW. I don't get it. I don't understand why, other than just flat-out jealousy that, you know, this, he for all intents and purposes, AEW is the new WCW, and Tony Khan is the new Eric Bischoff. Completely different, different people, different styles, different fed different time and place, all of that. But, you know, Bischoff was the only other guy that was had a promotion that big in the United States. That's it. Tony Khan, nobody has before or since came along and been able to rival WWE in that way since Eric Bischoff until Tony Khan. So maybe it's that, just a little bit of professional jealousy. I don't know. Or maybe he feels like he could do it differently or... I don't know. I don't know what it is, but he's not wrong about AEW struggling to get over the hump. I just don't know if it's story. I don't know if it's the silly shit that Cornette likes to make fun of all the time. I don't think it is. I do think wrestling works best as a variety show. I think you can't, you cannot just put out a straight laced for pretending to be real 100%. I, I think you gotta have some silly comedy stuff in there too you gotta have you gotta have your gaga you gotta have your flippy floppies and then you also have your great wrestling and your great storytelling and your great it's a mixed bag that's my belief you know uh, obviously everybody else has their own opinions and 
we'll see how it goes. But yeah, there's no signs that AEW is going to grow past that one million, and uh, it's kind of a shame. Well, folks, that's all we got for today. I want to thank you guys who have stuck around all the way to the end. I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you for supporting the show. If you liked the show and you like what I do here, please feel free to go ahead and throw me a like or a follow on social media. You can find me at Seth Grimes Media on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. You can find the YouTube videos at slash United Underworld Media. That's YouTube.com slash United Underworld Media, where you will find not just the full podcast, but you can find clips as well. So you can go back and sample clips and highlights from other episodes. You can also subscribe on the podcast feed if you're here on the YouTube channel and you want to know where the podcast at is just pull out your phone, search your podcast app, search the Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast, and you will see us there. Go ahead, pull it up, subscribe. I would appreciate it. It would mean the world to me. I would sleep better at night with your subscription. We got the Cryptomania NFTs, pro wrestling inspired NFTs. If you're an NFT person or you're NFT curious, allow us to be your gateway into the crypto world with our pro wrestling inspired NFTs. You can find them at CryptomaniaNFT.com. Got a book out. You can find it on Amazon, Audible, and Kindle. It's The Gathering. A bold journey into the belly of the Juggalo underworld. That's going to take care of all the plugs. Again, I appreciate you. Peace, love, and pizza. I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this has been the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast.